While they're leaving, if you'll turn to Galatians 5.1, and uh, you'll see on your handout that there are uh, two questions that I want to answer. And I'm only going to, just so you know, I'm only going to answer the first one today. Um, we wanted to honor the graduates, and we wanted to introduce VBS and that, so it makes for a full, full Sunday. But we're going to just answer the first question. But I, I, I contemplated that, and I did it that way, just not knowing how the time would work out. But each question here is worthy of uh, contemplation in and of itself. I, I think we live in a world where self reigns supreme. I mean, you think about it for a moment. How many words, how many times in a day do you think you or your children say the word I? You think, think about how many words are hyphenated, self-hyphenated something. We live in a world that is, that is inundated, that is, is uh, focused on self. And unfortunately, we as believers are, are not immune to this disease, this, this calamity, if you will. And, and because of this, we interpret even the Bible. We come to the Bible and we interpret it for ourselves. We interpret it with ourselves completely in mind and really singularly in mind. We, we interpret the Bible asking, how does this affect me? And what, what is in it for me? And what does this mean for me? The, the reality is, is the truths of this go so far beyond that, that we are a body. They're just like when I got married to Karen on June 28, 2003, there, in a very real sense, Chris Basham died. It's no more me, it's us. It's we. Ephesians 5 says, the two shall become one. And in a very real sense, we're, we're a part of the body of Christ. As, if you're a believer here in Jesus Christ, you're a, you're a part of the body. And... and and Paul is going to dive into to what it means to be a part of the body. Really, he's been building in Galatians to this one statement, if you will, chapter 5, verse 1. And it's a loaded statement. And the reality is, is I was hopeful that we would be able to spend two weeks on this one statement. Because if we're honest, all of us struggle right here with what does it mean to be free in Christ? What does it mean that we're free? I've heard that. I've probably said it. You've heard it. You've probably said it. I'm free. I'm free. What, what, what does that mean? See, see, we interpret everything based on ourselves. We, we filter everything through ourselves. We, we define freedom based on ourselves. And, and really what Paul does here is define for us and begin to define for us what, what, what is freedom? The freedom that we have as Christians, what is it? What is it really? And really, what he deals with in chapter 5, verse 1, in many ways, is the point of all Christianity, freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. We'll get to it, but that statement right there implies that prior to a relationship with Jesus Christ, you were not free. The reality is, the irony is, is the people of the world 
who think they're free, they look at us and think we're not free, and the reality is they've got it all backwards. I've said it before, but it's almost like two people jump out of an airplane, one with a parachute and one unencumbered with a parachute. You ask the question, which one is more free? Well, the reality is people would say, oh, well, the one without the encumbrance of a parachute is free, but here's the deal. They're not free at all. They're slaves to this thing called gravity. They're not free falling. They're being pulled to the ground by gravity. They're slaves to gravity. See, and, and the world has this idea of freedom that is, that is snuck in and infiltrated the church and infiltrated us, and, and we come to Christ, and we've lived that way for so long. We've got all these, that's why we've got all these mindsets and ideals and all these things. That's why Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, by the mercy of God, I, I, I say to be a, a prisoner to Christ, to, to serve Him. He says, to, to, this is your spiritual act of worship, to, to have your mind renewed to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. We, we've got to begin to think and interpret things according to the Bible. It says to offer your bodies, he says there. We have been set free, no doubt. We, we who are believers in Christ have been set free, but, but what does it mean? What, what does this freedom mean? Is this a freedom that's just dealing with me, isolated from everybody else? Or is this a freedom to become a part of something and to be part of, of someone and something else other than myself, something greater than myself? Is this a freedom for me to just go live however I want to live? Or is this now a freedom for me to be, to be really introduced and ushered into the very near presence of God, into the family of God, to be a part of something that we before were not a part of? Is that what this means? Is it, is it an unbounded freedom? Is it a freedom as the world would describe, that, hey, I just get to do whatever I want? Or is biblical freedom very something very, very different from that of the world? And Galatians 5 is one of the key passages regarding this concept, this truth, this biblical truth of freedom. And when we come to this passage, like every other passage, we've got to remember... If the, uh, Galatians 5.1 sits in a context. What I mean by that is you do not run to that verse and you, you pull, this is what we're very good at. We're very good at going and finding verses that we like and we pull them totally out of their context and we get them to say whatever we want them to say, regardless of what it is in the round it. And, and again, not, not to pick on them, but there's plenty of them. My wife will kid you. I cringe every time I hear Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. Every time I hear that verse quoted, I cringe. For I know the plans for you I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. Really? Is that what that verse is saying? Or is that verse in a context where he's saying, Israel, you're about to go into Babylonian captivity. 70 years. You know what? I'll see you on the backside. That's not, that's not how we quote that verse. See, we quote that verse meaning, I'm never going to get cancer, nothing ever going to bad to me happen, oh, everything's going to be rosy. You know what that verse is saying? Even if you get cancer, I'm there for you. Even if you die, I'm going to be there for you. I, I'm, a, I'm a covenant-keeping God. I'm a, 
I'm a faithful God. I'm a, I'm a God whose Lamentations 3, whose loving kindnesses never cease. See, that's a whole different meaning to Jeremiah 29, 11. Not no, nothing ever going to bad to happen to you, but when it does happen to you, I'm there. When it does happen to you, I'll walk you through it. The, the way the world and the way Christians quote that verse, our, many of our lives in this, in the, just in this small little congregation totally obliterate that way we treat that verse. Walk through stuff that, that, that you would never share. Oh, well, the plans he has for you. Oh, really? What about this? What about this? Paul's sitting in prison half the time he writes these letters. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give it hope in the future, Paul. And the false teachers came to him and they said, Hey, you know what? If you were really of God, you wouldn't be in prison. No, 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 no. That's not what Philippians 1 says. And these verses, Galatians 5, it's, it sits in a context. And not only is it in the context of the verses around it, it sits in the context of an entire letter, which sits in the context of 66 other books. So when, when we read these things, we've got to think about the whole picture. Context is huge. We, we saw in Galatians 3.22 that they were prisoners of sin, that they were in bondage to its control and its death. The law would, had not been able to liberate them as they thought. It was merely a temporary custodian until they became of age. And then when they became of age, Christ, like, like a small child, the law was a tutor, it was a guardian. Now that Christ, now that they've become of age, don't, you don't need the law. He's saying the law is, is packed, it's, it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled. You're sons now. You're mature. He says, with the coming of Jesus, they were set free. They were adopted. That's chapter 4. However, because of false teachers, they, some of them were trying to go back to the law. They were, now that they were saved, they were going back to the law as a means of a, a relationship with Christ, specifically circumcision, specifically these other things, festivals and all that, and they were becoming tangled. They were literally submitting themselves to slavery again. That We saw that in chapter 4 as well. And, and then Paul, in chapter 5, he says, for it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. We saw last week with regards to Hagar and Sarah, two covenants. One was Hagar, was Abraham trying to get to God on his own means, trying to get God's promises on his own means. Sarah was faith. Right after that, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. So what is Paul talking about here? Right in the context of that verse, he's talking about not being tangled with the law or any kind of human work system to earn or to merit your favor with God. Trying to earn our way to God, to make God love us enough to be impressed with us that He would save us. And he's saying, don't be entangled in that. And the result, the result of Christ's work is that a believer in Christ is a freed person. But what does that mean? How should that affect our lives? Because biblical truth, listen, it's never irrelevant to our lives. It's never irrelevant to our lives. It always has something to do with us representing Christ as His people. And if, 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 if we're not careful... And you see this all through other scriptures. We, we had this tendency to think that, look, if there's no law, then people are just going to go crazy. People are going to do whatever they want to do. If, if, if there's no law, then what's the motivation for living holy? 
If there's no law, then we'll just go do whatever we want to do. And some people misinterpret that way. And, and, and that, that, that if there's no law, if there's not all this stuff, that, then, then we just move on and we live forever we want and we claim freedom. It's the whole culture in America that, that, that we've made salvation a, a one-time decision that doesn't affect every area of your life. It's like an insurance policy. Christianity has become nothing more than an insurance policy for many people. Like, I file it away, and if my washing machine overflows, and it floods the laundry room, and our wood floors start buckling up, and we got problems, then I'll go get the filing cabinet, and I'll pull out the insurance policy, and I'll make the call. That, that's somewhat what we've made Christianity. It's like, it's, it's really nothing more than an insurance policy. Is, is that what Jesus Christ died for? No, that's not freedom. That, that's not even the, that's not the biblical definition of freedom. Biblical freedom is something totally different. It's totally greater. And I want to explain this today. And, and, and I want to answer from Galatians 5.1, two questions. And, and, and the, they're, they're on your handout. The first question is this, what is biblical freedom? I want to answer that question today. Next week. And it'll allow me to dig into probably down to verse 15 to answer that second question. But what are the results of having been set free? What is biblical freedom and what are the results? And so uh, save your handout for next week. Uh, Melissa, in her graciousness, she'll probably fill in the blanks for you next week and you'll get a new handout that have these first ones filled in. But I'm only going to answer this first question today. What is biblical freedom? And I want us to think about that. I want us to consider it strongly you see the main point the main point for the next few weeks is this you see it on your handout biblical freedom is the reality that god has set us free through christ and in the spirit so that we can love god and others and obey his commands so that we can you go to romans 8 and in our unsaved state prior to christ we were not able to do that as much as you tried you could not honor god God, we through Christ have been put in a position through the Spirit so that we can love God and others. That's what Paul is going to get to. So what is biblical freedom? Again, having a right definition here on this question is crucial to everything. Everything that we understand in this passage and in the letter to, our, to the Galatians hinges on our ability to understand what does Paul mean right here with the word freedom. Freedom is a, is a central theological concept. It sums up, it really sums up our situation in Christ. Look at that. Look at it, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That, that, is, that sums up our situation in Christ, in the gospel. The very purpose of Christ's work summarized right here in verse 1. Christ has liberated His people from sin and death so that they can enjoy the freedom that only comes in, in, in his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and, and in, in his looking forward to his coming and putting all our eggs in that basket. It's freedom. But, but what does that mean? What does that mean? The first thing you see on your handout is what biblical freedom is not. I, I, we we got to first say what it is not. And, and Paul will deal with this next week very specifically. But, he, but our freedom is never to be used as an excuse to do what we please. And in the, no matter how people are hurt, no matter what the outcome is. Look down for just a second to 13, to verse 13. 
We'll look at it next week. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're called to freedom, but don't think for one second that that freedom is about you. Don't think for one second that, hey, I just get to go do whatever I want to do. That, that I don't have any obligations, that, that, that it's an unbounded freedom, that, that I can just, hey, I've got my insurance policy, I paid my premium, I'm good. You know, when I was six years old, I, I prayed a prayer, and I'm good. That's not what he's saying. Listen to, listen to Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Look what it does. Look at what God's grace does. Look at what salvation does. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. But not only that, why, why do we do that? Because we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's why in 1 John 2, 28, John says, Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who's also, who practices righteousness is born of him. We're living in a way to purify ourselves, to look like our Father, to take on the character of our Father, and we're anxiously looking forward to His reappearing, to His second coming. And again, we'll see this in verses 2 through 15 next week, but biblical freedom is not the freedom to do as you please. Please know that. Christ did not set you free for you to live how you want to live. That is not biblical freedom. That freedom in Christ never means freedom from the presence and struggle with the flesh. It never means freedom from that just to do whatever I feel like doing. Look over at verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition, so you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What he's saying there is that God has made a provision in you, believer, and it is the Spirit, and that Spirit brings victory. And, and our salvation, our freedom in Christ is never to be considered freedom from servanthood or service or loving responsibilities to others. That's all throughout the Bible. Romans 14, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 6, 10. Our freedom, our biblical freedom is not about you and it's not about me. It's not to do as you please. It's not to live for yourself. So that begs the question, what biblical freedom is? And biblical freedom, what Paul is saying, especially in this context and out throughout the Word of God, biblical freedom is a freedom from fear and condemnation for your sins. Through Christ, there is no condemnation, though I'm a sinner. That is the essence of what Paul deals with here. That we were captives, we were slaves to sin, we were under sin in our unsaved state. And what Paul is saying is it was for freedom. We were captive, we were held in bondage to something. And, and if we're to understand what biblical freedom is, we've got to understand that biblical freedom comes from and with the reality that we were captives to something. And he began his letter that way, we were captives. He says in, in Galatians 1.4, who gave himself, talking about Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We were in bondage. We were captive. But before God, before a relationship with God through Christ, we were slaves. We were bound to the law. We were bound to its curse. We were bound to sin. We were bound to self. We were bound to evil. We were bound to death. We are captive. And, and no person will understand biblical freedom until they freely admit that they were in captivity. we got to first admit that we were in captivity. That what we thought was freedom wasn't really freedom. That we were enslaved to sin and the sentence for that sin was death. And, and the central issue is at, at the beginning, we've got to admit that we were captive. The gospel is only freeing. It is only freeing once people admit that they were captive. That they had a death sentence on them. That, they, that as Galatians 3 said, that they had the curse of the law upon them. And Jesus Christ came and took that curse for us. The curse of the law was what? We could not obey the law perfectly. You go all the way back to Deuteronomy. He says, hey, here's the law. If you obey it, it will be righteousness for you. The problem is we don't obey it. We fall short. James says, if you fall short even in breaking one of those 613 Mosaic covenants, you know what? You're guilty of breaking the whole thing. It's a, it's a hundred or zero. A hundred or zero. And you're under that curse because we don't get a hundred. And Christ came to free us from that curse. And the only way we will be freed is if we admit that we are in captivity, that we are sinners that that sin demands death, and, and that we need to be freed, that we could not free ourselves. And that's what Paul is saying. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, not ourselves. Not through the law, not through circumcision, not through being good, not through doing anything. Christ came. When you're in a cell and you are, you're captive in a cell, listen to me, someone from the outside has got to come unlock the key. Someone with the key has to come from the outside and unlock it for you. That's what Paul is saying. God, in sending Christ to die and pay the penalty for our sons, He has made a way for those who are captive to sin and to death and the curse of the law to be free. And freedom to what? The question becomes freedom to what? And that, that's the next fill-in. Having been freed from sin and its consequences through belief in Christ, we are free to have a right relationship with God. That, that is what we're freed to have. God could not relate to you and I as sinners. He is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. We are sinners. We're unholy, unrighteous. The, again, that's why Romans 5, 8 says we are enemies. Enemies. And Christ has made a way. God, in sending Christ, the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament looked forward to, the, the, He was the perfect Lamb to take away the sins of the world that we could be forgiven of our sins, our sins would be blotted out, separated as far as the east as the west, though they were scarlet, be washed white as snow, and he, we could be declared to be righteous. Judicially declared to be righteous, and now God can relate to us. We were freed to have a relationship with God through Christ, empowered by the Spirit that frees us, again, from the curse of the law. That was Romans, I mean, Galatians 3, 10 through 14. 
Romans, Romans 8.2 speaks to that as well. He says, a lot of us, we know Romans 8.1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But verse 2 says this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you see our freedom? We've been set free to God, not ourselves. Our freedom comes through believing in the death, the burial, the resurrection, and one day the return of Christ. That's why Matthew 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. You don't give, what is a ransom? A ransom is paid to set somebody who is in bondage free. The, 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 the note, the ransom was death. It was death. And Jesus' work paid our ransom, set us free. Christ redeemed us, He purchased us, He bought us literally from the slave market of sin and the curse of the law. And we have been freed in the sense that we've been given a relationship, adopted. We don't have to perform and work to earn that relationship. It was given. And, and for Paul, and biblically, being free means that we have life in the Spirit of God who lives in us. We have life. Being free literally means that He has given us life. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty. Why? Because we've been adopted. We've been declared righteous. We've been given a, a name. And again, we're going to get nowhere in this, nowhere until we realize that our freedom was purchased by a work of God in our lives through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Literally, biblical freedom is the freedom to now be incorporated. That's the fill-in on your handout, incorporated into the life of God. We have, been, we have been accepted into His family. We have been declared to be His son and His daughter. It, it is surrendering to God it is surrendering to God and allowing Christ and the Spirit to live through us. It is totally giving up my will. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and what? I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Gave Himself up for me. A Christian's life is not, it's not my life. It's God living through me in the person of the Holy Spirit. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The, and that's freedom. Biblical freedom is the joy of being liberated to be and to be and to do who God wants us to be. Because again, in our sin, we could not. We couldn't worship Him. We couldn't come into His presence. We could do none of that. And biblical freedom is not the right to do as one pleases. It's the power and the ability and the capacity and the want to to do as one ought. Biblical freedom is never freedom from responsibility. It's a responsibility not only for choice, but for right choices. We now can serve God. We can honor Him. It's, it's an inner contentment that I have been declared to be a son and a daughter of the King, and I will surrender my will to that King. I, I will live for that King. Because he, because he is living in me in the person of the Spirit. It means we want what God wants. We don't want what He don't want, doesn't want. 
It, it literally is a willingness to allow God to be in control of your life. Not, not, no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And, and the question becomes, are you free in this way? Is giving your life over to glorifying Christ, would you consider it freedom? Have you learned, has, has God's words became food and you've eaten them and you've, you enjoy them, you love them? Is serving Christ freedom? Is it freeing to lay your life down for that of Christ? Is that freeing? And the reality is this, and this is what this is the, the paradigm, this is what we've got to realize as Christians. The biblical freedom, in a sense, is a paradox. It's a paradox. Biblical freedom is being freed from a captivity of sin to be freed to be captive to Christ. You, you've really, in a sense, only you've traded in masters. It's a paradox. Even though you're free, you're captive. Christ has freed you from living for self, and now you can live for God. Because the reality is, even when you thought you were free over here, again, biblically speaking, you weren't free. You were a slave to sin. You weren't free at all. And, and biblical freedom allows us to voluntarily become slaves to Christ. L listen to 1 Corinthians 7 Verse 22. It says, For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Slave. Ephesians 6, 6. Not by, he's talking about how do you work. How do you, how do you work? He says, Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. How do you get that point as a Christian? The, dwell, the indwelling of the Spirit. Biblical freedom means that we are free to serve God and do His will in ways that prior to Christ, prior to believing in Christ, we were not. You were a slave to... That's Romans 6. Romans 6 verses 8 through 22 is, is, it, it sums this whole thing up. He says... If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. Do you see the freedom? Because you, as believers, we share that same freedom. Death is not master over me. 2 Corinthians says, The second I take my last breath here on earth, you know what I do? I take my first breath in heaven. Death is simply a transition for me. I don't die. Jesus himself said that, even though you die, you, the believer will not experience death. Will we die? We will die as the world sees us, but I'll never be more alive than I've ever been. D.L. Moody, I think I said it one time, he said, look, one day you're going to read in the papers that D.L. Moody died. He says, don't believe a word of it. He says, at that point, I'll never be more alive than I have been up to that point. One day, from your perspective, Chris Bashman is going to die. I won't be dead. I'm freed from that. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consi listen, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You Skip down, but thanks be to God, verse 17, that though you were slaves of sin... You became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Do you see the paradox? I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Verse 22. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Do you see the paradox? Once I was, a, I didn't realize it, but I was a slave to sin. And you want proof, then tell the non, then stop sinning. You can't do it. You're a slave to it. I hear people all the time say, you know what, I'm not a slave to that. Well, then stop doing it. Stop doing it then. Well, no, I want to do it because you're a slave to it. You're a slave. I'm not free. You're either, you're either, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. Either way, you're a slave. The reality is one over here to sin results in death. The one over here results in life. Slave. That's what Paul is saying. We, we have been freed from sin to be slaves of God. And the result is sanctification. We saw that a couple weeks ago. To conform to the image of God. And think about this. Think about this illustration. Think about a train. A train sits on two tracks. As long as that train, sit, again, he sits on those tracks, are they, for the, are they for the train's good or bad? They're for the good. As long as that train sits on those tracks, is he a slave to those tracks? Absolutely he is, but it's for his good. It's taking, it's taking that train exactly. Those tracks don't inhibit him. They guide him. Those tracks enable that train to do what it was made to do. Look, the Spirit enables us. We have been freed so that we have been able to serve God as we were intended to do back in the garden before sin erupted. We were, we were called, created to be His representatives, to be in relationship with Him. We have been set free so that sin no longer reigns, death no longer reigns, condemnation no longer reigns, the need to work for God to earn our righteousness, to earn our relationship no longer reigns, the need to be perfect no longer reigns, the, to, to make Him, to perform and make Him love us. That we've been freed from that nonsense in Christ because He did it. Christ's work settled the issue. It brought freedom. Where condemnation, again, Romans 8, 1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. One second before you believed in Christ and became a Christian, you know what you deserved? Condemnation. What reigned over your heart, your life? Condemnation. Condemnation. That's not freedom. And the, the key to freedom, the key to understanding this biblical freedom, and I'll close here, for, the key is this. The key to freedom is whether we have to do the work ourselves or whether the work's been done for us. The key to this freedom is do I have to perform for Christ or is Christ's performance enough? And then we have to ask ourselves, what are the results of that? I, I read a story this week, and I'll close with this. A, a guy named Tillian Chavichin, he's a great pastor, book writer, 
he, he wrote a book called Surprised by Grace. And in there, he freely admits, you know, this story may not be true. He was told it, and it's been passed down. But either way, it, it, it paints the picture of biblical freedom. He says, During the Civil War, there was a northerner who went to a slave auction and purchased a young female slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, You are free. Amazed, the slave girl responded, You mean I am free to do whatever I want? Yes, the man replied. And you mean that I am free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yes, the man who purchased her responded. And free to go wherever I want to go? Yes, he responded again. You are free to go. You are free to do. You are free to say anything you want. The slave girl looked at, him, looked at him for a moment and said, Then I will go with you. Listen, even though she was free, she voluntarily placed herself in subjection to another because of the love and the mercy and the graciousness of that individual. She was free. And yet she's voluntarily made herself to be. That's why Paul begins his letters, a bondservant of Christ. He was free, and yet he voluntarily submitted his life. Tullian goes on to say this, Some fear that grace delivered, blood brought radical freedom, result in loveless license. But as the story above illustrates, redeeming unconditional love alone, not fear, not guilt, not shame, carries the power to compel heartfelt loyalty to the one who bought us. We read verses like Galatians 5.1 and we think that personal freedom is all about us. And listen, we're not grasping the bigger picture of what Christ has done. We've not been set free just to be free. We've been set free to be adopted, to be grafted in to the people of God. Adoption. See how great a love, John, 1 John 2, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. Think about that. You, you've been set free. The payment for your sin was paid. Why? Not so you would grow off uninhibited, but that you could be adopted. That you could be loved. That you could now serve the one true God in ways that you never could before. You look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and he says, The love of Christ compels, compels us. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray, if I could pray anything, I would pray that you would understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love that God has for you. That he is a good father. That we have been set free really from ourselves. We have been set free from sin. And its consequence. We have been set free from the curse of the law. We have been set free from the law itself to love God. To have a relationship with God. To be adopted in ways that never were before. I, I pray as we think we would think about that this week. As we next week we'll look at uh, the rest of verse 1 through 15. Barry Chesney is going to preach on June 19th. Lord willing for me. And he is going to preach verses 16 through 25. And so I want to I honor that. But next week we'll, uh, we'll cover... 1 through, 1 through 15. But think about that this week. How, how, what do you think about your freedom? 
How have you used your freedom? Have you, have you used your freedom for self and your aggrandizement and your glory, or have you used your freedom for Christ's glory? Have you taken your freedom to, to lead to more sin and selfishness, the very thing that you've been freed from, or have you used your freedom to glorify God in ways that prior to Christ you never could? Have you used your freedom just to, again, feed the flesh? Or have you used your freedom to embrace what it means to be a son and a daughter of the one true king?